And then I like uh, to do some things to help calm the brain down. So there's some amino acids I like to prescribe. Some of these are tyrosine. GABA is a common one I prescribe for patients. And then just nutrients like magnesium I also prescribe. I like a specialized magnesium like tolerate that helps cross the blood-brain barrier more readily to be able to calm the brain down well. You're listening to the Integrative Medical Podcast with Dr. Jake, a licensed naturopathic doctor who will show you how to tap into your body's natural ability to heal your health issue and improve your symptoms quickly without harmful drugs or devastating surgeries. So pour some tea, get comfortable where you are, and enjoy this healing episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am Teresa. I am a mom, I'm a health nut, and a wife to a cancer fighter. And I'm here today with Dr. Jake to talk about how to manage and even heal from ADHD. Dr. Jake? So yeah, it's really exciting to talk about ADHD because there are so many other options that are done to what's done conventionally, like they like to prescribe a lot of medications and whatever. Uh, we could talk about so many things to really identify those causes. So I'm really excited to be able to talk about this today. I love it. Wonderful. And I know I'm excited as well because I see it everywhere, especially being a mom. You know, I have kids with ADHD-like symptoms. I've got, they've got friends that are taking meds for ADHD. Uh, it just seems like it's just a big hot term, especially in the in the world of kids. But I even have friends and family members who are adults who um, live with it, struggle with it, some who've managed it. So excited to hear what you have to say. But first, before we jump into, you know, some of the, the treatments and protocols and, and supplements and all of that amazing stuff that's available to us to, uh, to manage it, we do want to specify here that this is just a podcast, right, Dr. Jake? Yeah, so I'm not going to give a specific treatment protocol for any individual. Every person that comes into my office, I'm giving an individualized treatment. The treatments that I suggest today might not be the best for you specifically or your friends and family. So my recommendation, if you do have ADD, ADHD, or other medical conditions, visit our website, integrativemedica.com, find our phone number, and give my staff a call, and they'll be able to set you up with an appointment with me or someone on my staff that'll be able to help you with uh, what you're dealing with. Wonderful. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Jake. Before we get started, I just found out that you recently had COVID. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it. Tell me about your experience. Obviously we'd want to, we don't want to distract from the topic of this, but when did you have it and how did it go? So yeah, um, um, I'm exposed to COVID probably every day. I've been able to stay away from it for 20 months. I thought I was doing all the right things to stay away from it, but someone came in with a really high barrel load and I got it. So I got exposed to it. I got over it in 70 days, seven days, um, not 77 days. So, uh, I mean, it, it made me tired mostly and had a fever. That's really what I experienced with COVID. It wasn't fun. And then uh, two weeks after that, I was kind of fatigued and weak for a little bit. But uh, I was able to get over it really quick because of all the things we talked about in our antiviral podcast. So we're able to use all kinds of things like the vitamin C, the IV vitamin C, the NAC, and all the other things that we talked about to build a potentially help with COVID. A lot of people that do get COVID, they might have these like lingering fatigue or brain fog symptoms. I had that for a little bit and I was able to clear that really quick within a week or two uh, with taking uh, some mitochondrial support like uh, glutathione, alpha lipoic acid and carnitine and NAC. So I was able to clear it really quick. 
some of these lingering effects that can happen from COVID for a little bit. Wonderful. Well, for those of you guys who are interested uh, to go deeper into uh, that topic um, and what you can do to arm yourself from viruses, such as that thing that's going around or any other, I'm putting up, if you're on the YouTube episode specifically, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm putting up that episode and then come on back or check it out later. Um, In the meantime, we want to jump into this topic of ADHD. You said something before we got started that it triggered. It triggered a memory. You said ADD or ADHD. And I remember, oh yeah, when I first even heard about this, this is back in like 80s or 90s, the word of that time was ADD. And then something shifted by the time I was in high school in my early 20s, where all of a sudden now the new word was ADHD. But it sounds like they're they're not synonymous. Uh, So before we even jump into ADHD management, what's the difference between ADD and ADHD? So the difference is, is ADD is they just have the focus issue and ADHD is they can't sit still and they have the focus issue. So those are the big differences between the two. If you have ADD, it doesn't necessarily mean you have ADHD. They're not exactly the same thing. You might be able to sit still and don't have to move around and fidget a lot, but you have difficulty focusing. That's more ADD, not ADHD. So when we talk today about ADHD, is somebody that somebody is listening that has ADD, or is is the approach going to be the same? Yeah, it is going to be very similar to treat someone with ADHD and ADD because they're just presenting in a little bit of different way with their own body chemistry, but the treatment approach is going to be the same. Okay, wonderful. So let's talk first about the usual protocol, right? Most people they realize their kid has ADHD or they realize they have ADHD. They go to a doctor and they they get a treatment. What's the the standard protocol when they see a regular doctor about this, and why is this concerning? Yeah, so the standard protocol that is used to help people with ADD or ADHD is they usually prescribe a methamphetamine of some sort, like uh, Ritalin was the very common one. I see Adderall being prescribed a little bit more often now. And these are medications that are work in an interesting ways. They actually overstimulate the body, but they, they work by increasing focus. And what we're seeing in the literature is that to, uh, for the people that are hyperactive, it does help subdue them because it's able to help them focus a little bit more. So it's not necessarily calming the brain. It's just making it work better with the methamphetamine. Uh, you could think of that as all the other methamphetamines, but this is a controlled methamphetamine. Um, so it helps with the symptoms of what's going on and leaves out all the causes. And then what about all the brain chemistry changes that happen by starting someone on this at a very young age? So those are some of the concerns of the conventional approach towards treating this condition. You know, I, I know a number of people who, you know, when they were in their, in the middle school years were uh, taking missions, like what you've mentioned, uh, for their ADHD and the ones that I recall, like I, I can think of two, three, four at the top of my head who eventually struggled with drug addiction. Um, and I just have to wonder if it, it turned a light on for that. Because, I mean, you mentioned that it is a form of a methamphetamine. And there are drugs out there that are street drugs that are in that same family and they're very highly addictive. They do make you feel really good. Uh, and I just wonder if, it, if, if, you know, you take a little extra one, you go, whoa, that was kind of fun. Uh, and if it can turn a light on for some of these people to start self-medicating with other drugs that, you know, are not necessarily prescribed by a doctor. And, and I think we're, we're even seeing nowadays, um, I even hear it in rap songs. 
I hear in a lot of rap songs out there about, oh, take an Adderall for, for, for yeah. recreational use. And, mm-hmm. and along with other prescription drugs that are now becoming a huge problem, they're highly addictive and causing problems. And I think what you mentioned is really key here is that even if it is effective, it's, it's just covering up the problem and it's not getting to the root cause. And so then you, you become dependent where you're, you're having to continue to take this drug in order to manage your symptoms um, without addressing the, the root cause and actually actually healing from it, actually managing it in a healthy way. So I'm really excited to, to hear from you about, about how to do that. I think the essential question before we can even get to ways of managing it and protocols and things that are out there is why do they have it in the first place? What is, is there a known cause or causes for ADD and ADHD? So there's a lot of potential causes that lead to ADD, ADHD. Let's talk about some things that are stimulatory that we have in our environment, things that we would be eating or maybe other things that are outside there. So let's talk about like food dyes. There's several different food dyes that are very excitatory, like red food dye or yellow food dye or the various other food dyes. So if you're eating a lot of these candies or eating a lot of things that have food dye, they're going to be stimulatory to the brain and this brain just gets overstimulated and they can't focus. They can't sit still because of that constant excitement. You also get it from certain, uh, there's uh, stimulants in certain preservatives. MSG, monosodium glutamate. We've talked in some of my other podcasts about glutamate, how it's excitatory. So if you take MSG, you're going to get the pure excitatory amino acid, which is going to be way stimulatory to the brain. Also, we live in an environment of electronics. There's kids that are on electronics or adults constantly, constant activity and constant activity of the brain. And no, not a lot of time just to sit and focus and concentrate. So that really messes with the brain chemistry also. And let's take a look at uh, food sensitivities. So food sensitivities can be a big problem with people with ADD, ADHD. The reason for that is it could cause trauma to the gut lining. And that trauma to the gut lining and inflammation there can cause this imbalance of the neurotransmitters that are hanging out in the gut. This imbalance of the neurotransmitters then can circulate in the bloodstream and arrive to the brain and cause imbalance of the neurotransmitters in the brain. And this can lead to focus issues and uh, inability to really sit still because there's too much excitement going on in the brain. So we need to really take a look at the patient's food sensitivities and eliminate those because that may be as a big culprit. I see this all the time. Some foods that I see as a big problem for ADHD specifically are gluten, dairy, eggs, and soy, but there could be all kinds of other things. It could be as an apple or something. So, so we need to take a, look, a detailed look into that. So there's various other uh, things that we need to look into uh, that I didn't talk about, but those are a quick rundown of many of the potential causes. So we had mentioned over here really like food dyes, uh, preservatives, and food sensitivities being uh, major triggers as well as electronics and being exposed to a lot of, of like screens and electronics. It's interesting that you mentioned about the food sensitivities. Uh, we have a lot of food sensitivities in my family and already I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense that that would be part of it. Uh, I know for me, if I eat unpastured eggs, it's a weird thing. I discovered unpastured eggs were the, the issue. I get really ditzy. Like I, I didn't discover it until I was on a fast, but I had done a fast where I, you know, eliminated all foods. It was like a five day fast. And, and then you slowly get back onto food. 
And the, the person that I was following at that time had suggested that the first food that you take when you start getting back into it would be egg whites. I ate some egg whites and I'm telling you, I was a complete ditz the rest of the day. I remember finding myself, I put the milk for my kids in the cupboard. I put the canned goods in the refrigerator. Like it was a, such a big mess. So I'm wondering for me, if, if that is one of my issues that I had some ADD like a situation, I was having a hard time focusing. And my son, he has some gluten issues and it affects him a little bit differently, but it does affect his brain. It does affect his behavior. And I know some friends specifically who mentioned yellow dye, that they discovered that yellow dye really affects their kids. So I'm really happy to see that there's just more options out there. You know, like Costco, for example, has um, in the summertime, you know, these kids like to have uh, those, you know, popsicles. And a lot of those popsicles are just filled with color dye. But I know that Costco, for example, um, has a line that is color dye free. So all of the popsicles are like this plain, you know, clear color, but you can still get the cherry flavor and the grape without all of those colors. And it's just nice to know that there's things that are coming out because I don't think it was prevalent, especially when we were younger, mm-hmm. you know, with the types of foods that are out there. All right. So we talked about possible triggers. Somebody comes into to your office and you're talking to them and you, you find out what their exposure to electronics are. You know, you talk about any known food sensitivities. Maybe they know, maybe they don't. Um, what what is typically you know some things that that you recommend for somebody who's struggling with it? How how can they manage it without having to go to the Adderall? I know that you know you're a big advocate for certain diets, lifestyle changes, certain supplements, and things like that. Can you share what some of those things that you would you would have a person do if they were struggling? Yeah. So the first thing we start with is we're going to identify what foods they're sensitive to. Maybe they're a really young kid and we can't do a blood draw on them. Like if they're like younger than two years old and it's just going to be so traumatizing to them. I go with some of the top food sensitivities that I see and I start go from there. Like we talked about the gluten, dairy, eggs, soy. Those are the tops. And then sugar is a top one too. So I eliminate those typically in that in that patient group. But if I'm able to do a food sensitivity test, and I typically do to be really specific with the patients. And then I work on healing up the gut. We talked about uh, some gut healing supplements. So a lot of these things I do do to help heal up the gut. I many times do glutamine. I many times do good quality probiotic. I give them good digestive enzymes to start start, uh, gut healing up. Um, And then I like Uh, to do some things to help calm the brain down. So there's some amino acids I like to prescribe. Some of these are tyrosine, GABA is a common one I prescribe for patients, and then just nutrients like magnesium I also prescribe. I like a specialized magnesium like Torate that helps cross the blood-brain barrier more readily to be able to calm the brain down well. And then we need to take away all these uh, certain preservatives or food dyes or MSG out of their diet because these things are usually a big problem. Lifestyle changes. Big thing is I want them to not be have as much screen time. I like to limit their screen time. Parents might hate me for this, taking away the screen time, but it is a big problem to be on the screen so much. It's messing with the brain chemistry and how everything's working, and they can't focus and concentrate because of all that excitement, and their brain is unable to really do what it's supposed to do. So we don't. I like to uh, especially work on the electronics. I want the kids to go out and play. I want them to be able to go out in nature. I want them to go out, interact with other people, 
these these are huge things to really help with these uh, with this ADD ADHD. So that's a good quick rundown of what my beginning protocol is. Sometimes I do prescribe glutathione for these patients too to start detoxing, decrease inflammation, and decrease the oxidative stress in the body and decrease that inflammation in the brain. Now, I noticed a couple of things. I, I, I seem to find, and maybe this is just my own experience, maybe there is some facts to back it up, that it seems like boys in particular are the ones that are more often diagnosed with ADHD. Is that true or is that just my own? That's definitely true. It's a much higher propensity for boys compared to girls. There's a lot of potential theories there, but we really don't know why that's the case. Maybe we'll find out later, um, but uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I often wonder if it, if if it's over over diagnosed, you know, like for example, like boys in general, I, I find, I, I was a teacher for 13 years. Uh, I have boys myself, you have boys. Uh, and I find that like the typical classroom environment where it's expected for you to sit down in a desk all day long um, and, and do your mm-hmm. school, that girls just tend to do better with that type of environment mm-hmm. uh, where boys tend to just want to move around more. Um, and and uh, teachers look at that and go, oh, you have ADHD, let's get your kid on some Adderall. Yeah, um, sure. is that, so I'm hearing you say, yeah, so you see... So would you agree or assume that some of these cases, it's, it's just generalized male behavior and not actually ADHD? All, I tell people this all the time, but usually parents don't like to hear it, is yes, boys or sometimes girls don't do well just sitting down in a desk all day long. They're going to go crazy and that's not something they want to do and they want to move and they want to get out. And they want to go in, uh, go go outside. So yeah, so they start wanting to move around, or they stop, start goofing off, or they start getting really bored. And the teacher starts thinking, "Oh, this kid has ADD." They tell the parent about that. They're like, "Hey," I'm, and then they go to the doctor, and then the doctor, for some reason, this easily prescribes a medication to make the the parent happy. So yeah, it is way overdiagnosed. There's many instances that yeah, they're just a normal boy and need to work on how they deal with that, or Really, the classroom setting needs need to be worked on on making it a better environment for learning and moving around more, especially when they're younger. Is there a way for you as a doctor um, that you're able to determine whether this is just a personality difference or actually something that, you know what, there is some issues going on yeah. uh, that need to be treated? Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to ask uh, specific uh, uh, symptom pictures. I mean, like if they really are sitting down and doing their homework for like two hours, when it should take a normal kid like 10 to 15 minutes, they're definitely having some focus issues there. So they're definitely going to need some some issues. It's not like they just want to get up and move around. They are really having troubles really concentrating. And and maybe when they're doing their work, they're always like, hey, uh, what about this? What about this? And want it getting distracted really easy. So I ask questions about that. But there's there's also, we have a book called the DSM, which we ask specific questions to really get a confirmed diagnosis of ADHD. So it's not just like, oh, this person doesn't sit still or not focus. We ask specific questions to really get a confirmed diagnosis. And I imagine for anyone, regardless of whether you have ADHD or not, getting off of food dyes and preservatives, <laughs> helping your body detox, getting off screens, you're going to see a natural improvement regardless of who you are sure. um, because these are just, they're just not good for you. I know mm-hmm. for me, um, I was one of those kids that did struggle. I did take, you know, two, three, four, five hours to do homework. And, um, 
my mom actually took me to, it was very new at the time, but it was called biofeedback. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. So I do a lot of neurofeedback. It's a little bit different. And I was going to talk about that, but go ahead. I'd love to hear more about neurofeedback. Uh, for me, this was back in the 90s. It was mm -hmm. early on, um, but it was really helpful for me. The doctor put this uh, things on my head that measured my brain waves. And I had to, at that time, uh, play a video game basically with my brain. Yep. <laughs> so he would put me in front of a screen and uh, it was like in different games, like painting, you know, on the back of a truck when you paint a line on the, on the street or you make the Pac-Man move. But the only time that the Pac-Man would move or the, the paint on the street would paint is I had to focus. And I remember when I was first doing it, I would fall asleep. He would have to come in and wake me up because I would just like, I, I would struggle with getting it to move and then I would fall asleep. But I got better and better and better. I, eventually, I, I didn't need to go anymore. And I really didn't really seem to struggle with, with focusing at that point. I got much better. My grades uh, went up. I was able to go to college and, and just slam that out, and, you know, all of that. So it was effective for me. I don't even know if it exists anymore. It sounds like neurofeedback is the newer way. Would love to hear more about that. So yeah, neurofeedback is, sounds exactly like what you received. We're calling it more neurofeedback than biofeedback. Biofeedback, there's a lot of other things happening with that terminology. When we're specifically going after the brain, we're calling it neurofeedback. And yeah, we do an EEG of the brain. So we put a cap on the head. We're able to read the brain waves. We're, and then I'm able to get information back based on those brain waves. What areas of the brain are not working how we want them to work or there's an imbalance of a brain wave in a specific area of the brain. And then we do neurofeedback training in which we put in the software, what areas of the brain need more of a certain brain wave? When the software picks up, okay, the brain needs this brain wave and it's hitting that brain wave segment right there, it sends a signal saying, hey, that's what we want. And it does that thousands of times over training. And then you get to a place that that brain waves are being produced at the appropriate time in that specific area of the brain. And then that takes away the anxiety over time. So it's a similar technique that you, uh, you had done uh, when you were younger and it's still being done now and it keeps on getting more information and more technology on it. But I do that all the time for my ADHD patients and there's a ton of research specifically more on anything else uh, for neurofeedback is on ADD. It's a really has a 90% success rate for that, that demographic. So I do it all the time for. Amazing. ADHD. So I know for me, it took time uh, to build for somebody mm -hmm. who, uh, who comes in, whether they're an adult or a child, um, and they're, they're, they're following your, your advice, you know, they're, they're eliminating their, their food uh, sensitivities. They're eliminating those color dyes and getting back on more and whole foods and less foods with preservatives. They're doing the neurofeedback. How quickly do you see results in your patients uh, with their ADHD symptoms? I'm at least going to see improvements on what's going on in about six to eight weeks. It might not be all better, but I'm going to see 30 to 50% improvement. And then it's gradual from there. And it depends on the person. I mean, some people I have that their, their ADD is gone in a month and others, it takes uh, six months to a year to be gone. So it depends on the individual and how fast they respond. But I always will see effect within uh, about six weeks to eight. Is there a difference in how quickly it works between children and adults or is it the same timeline? Yeah, I think it's very similar there. I think adults take a little bit longer than children because adults have kind of get, got set in their ways a little bit and their brains aren't going to be as malleable as a, a child's brain. Probably in general, adults are going to take a little bit longer than children, but that's not always the case. 
Um, if someone were to come in and see and see you, two things. One, uh, if they're already taking ADHD medication, is it safe for them to just stop taking a cold turkey? Or would, would they want to work on some sort of weaning process with you as they're doing some of the other elements that would help you know, heal their, their ADHD symptoms? Yeah, so I never recommend to go off those medications uh, cold turkey because they're really not going to focus or concentrate. They're going to feel extremely fatigued. And they're not going to be happy with you at all. So uh, we slowly get them off. You're addicted to them. They're going to have addictive symptoms and they're going to feel like they're going through withdrawals for a while too. So you want to take your time, slowly wean them off. I put them on the protocol. I slowly wean them off the medications. I slowly increase the dose of certain amino acids that are calming down the brain while we're weaning them off. And then eventually we get them off. I usually get my patients off in about four to eight weeks able to get them off their medication while they're doing our treatments. Now, you've mentioned that you, you use neurofeedback, you know, a lot. As far as somebody who's listening right now, uh, if they have a child that they're thinking, I would love to have them come in and, and, and have their ADHD uh, treated, is that something that you can do? Or do you recommend that they see a pediatric naturopath or pediatric integrative doctor? No, I see uh, pediatric patients with ADHD all the time, and I do neurofeedback on them all the time. So I've treated a p patients, uh, my youngest has been 18 months and younger. So there's a, uh, I mean, older. Yeah, I, tr I treat kids all the time with neurofeedback and all the other treatments that we talked about. Wonderful. So for anybody who is interested in um, seeing you, uh, doing a virtual call uh, with you, anything like that, how can they get a hold of you? So yeah, find our website, integrativemedica.com, find our phone number and give my staff a call and they're set up a visit with me or so, someone on my great staff that will be able to take good care of you. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Jake, for all of your information and for everyone else. We'll see you guys next week. See ya. Hey, Dr. Jake, thank you for your time today. And if you enjoyed the show, then do us a favor and leave a review. It helps more people to find the show, which could save their life. And remember, this is a podcast and should not replace personalized attention from a medical professional like Dr. Jake. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder, cancer of any stage, or a life-changing illness, visit our website today and schedule a virtual appointment with one of our doctors who can lead you to a treatment plan in your area. That's integrativemedica.com. Integrative, M-E-D-I-C-A.com. Thank you for listening to the Integrative Medica podcast with Dr. Jake. To hear past episodes and get alerts for the future, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and be sure to follow us on YouTube as well. Just search for Integrative Medica with Dr. Jake.